Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Welcome to Habits You Love, a thought-provoking podcast about self-love, self-healing, and spiritual evolution. I'm Kayla Fazio, the host, and I take you on the journey of my own trauma healing and share real, raw, and authentic life situations. My mission is to expand your mind to what you think is possible for you and provoke thoughts of looking at your own healing you may need and help you discover the power you have within you to start a self-healing journey, build healthy habits, and create a life you love. If you haven't already, click the follow button and leave a review. Also, check out my website, habitsyoulove.com, where you can find even more resources, healing practices, and support. Now, let's get to the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Habits You Love. Today's conversation is going to be really, really good. I'm excited to have not one, but two guests on today. One you may have heard um, as my sister. She's joining us today, but we are also joined by Becky Page. A funny story how we connected. If you haven't heard my sister and I's episode, episodes 26 and 27, which have been my most popular episodes to date. And then I think from the viral reel going around of April's soundbite, which I think has close to like 2.5 million views right now. I assume that's how Becky here found us from that. And so she DM'd me and asked me a couple questions uh, about my family and, and the episode, and she is a therapist. And so we just had a great conversation. And so we're gonna dive deeper into a couple topics that she threw out at me that I had never even heard of before. So I was like, this would be a great conversation to dive more into. So welcome, Becky. Thank you. Yeah, I think I heard the soundbite of that reel and then looked and was like, what is this? What are they talking about? And I personally think that every therapist at our core, we're just really curious people. And so I don't ever do this. In fact, this is the first time I've ever done this, but I just went straight to your podcast. And I think I was like in the middle of a work day and listened and realized, okay, I need to listen to a few of these episodes to kind of get some context. And I, at one point, even went back and listened to the first couple episodes you do where you talk about your childhood because I just am eternally curious about people's stories and especially their family of origin story. And I really think you like, there's still so many questions I had, even after listening to those other episodes of like, oh, I want to understand how their family as a system functioned. <laughs> we would love to know our family. It's dysfunction <laughs> too. Yeah. I, I'm just so glad that you decided to, to dive more into it and look. And I think that's really the purpose of doing these episodes. Why I, I just get on and share is because again, I, I'm curious too. And I'm also just someone that wants other people to know that everyone goes through stuff. 
So just by sharing our, our stories and our vulnerabilities, and then people like you finding it, it just, you know, makes the world just a better place where we can open up and share. And I love having guests on the podcast because we're just connecting and linking arms and like building this chain, you know, you are now on, on the habits you love chain. So tell us a little bit more about you. Yeah, well, I was a therapist for just over a decade in Dallas. I started a uh, private practice in Dallas called Sparrow House Counseling. And I just loved doing counseling. It was a lot of Christian counseling, but it was counseling as a whole. And I started off in the world of addiction. So I did a lot of family systems, which I know is partly what we'll talk about. And I did uh, addiction therapy for a while. I had a really incredible supervisor trained under him. And that's where I learned some of the things that I've brought up with you about the alcoholic Mm -hmm. family system. I always saw women for all kinds of various issues. And then I really ended up specializing in marriage for a long time. So I personally, before I came became a therapist, I had what I call like the crash and burn experience of my life. And I'm so thankful for it now. But that really led me into really good therapy. I had been in some really bad therapy before. I just want to be clear that not all therapy is uh, the same. And so I had done a lot of my own work before I decided to get my degree and then get licensed and then start a private practice. And I did that for a long time. And then in 2016, I actually retired and I had gotten into network marketing back in 2014. And I've been doing that full time for almost nine years now. And that gives me the chance to do a lot of interpersonal and business coaching. But I always tell people whenever we're business coaching, like we kind of have to figure out each individual's story to really help enhance what they want to do as entrepreneurs. So that's what I do full time now. And I, I seriously get asked probably once a week if I'm still practicing clinical psychotherapy. And I'm not, but I have been just praying this year about getting into more what I would call like soul care counseling, Mm -hmm. really stepping back from doing a lot of business work. And really, I, I just find that honestly, since the pandemic, so many people want to get into doing interpersonal work and they really need like spiritual direction but they might be on a therapist's waiting list for six to nine months. And that just breaks my heart that people can't get in with good therapists right away when they need it. So I'm praying about doing some shifting. And I think the really great entrepreneurs tend to, I can't speak for all of them, but they tend to be people who have done a lot of interpersonal work. Because to be an entrepreneur takes a lot of courage, a lot of self-understanding, a lot of emotional integrity, and also just emotional awareness. And I agree with you. I see the people that have done harm simply because they might have been really good at sales, but they maybe weren't really good at leading a team or really, really good at understanding people. I've been doing that kind of coaching now. Oh, that's um, great. That's great. No, that's great. That's great. Because you kind of get two birds with one stone. It's like you help someone with their emotional work and then the inner work, and then you also help them with the business. So two birds, one stone there. I've been an entrepreneur for almost eight years, and you sometimes are forced (laughs) to do the inner work, honestly. I've always been entrepreneurial and a hustler, and I want to be my own boss. But there have been times where I'm like questioning so much, and it's like I'm thinking it's business or something else. And I'm like, actually, no, it's forcing me to look at my own self and and figure this out. And by doing something completely outside of the business actually helps the business decisions and moves or, or ideas. I just think it's an ever-growing process of entrepreneurship. I don't think it ever stops. 
I agree. And I think the best entrepreneurs might kind of figure out how to keep growing and keep developing, um, especially as as leaders. Because I'm so curious about you, Kayla. I'm like, you, you've got so much curiosity around the world of psychology. Mm-hmm. So a part of me is going, oh, I wonder what God's going to do with that. And you've spent a lot of energy doing a lot of discovery in an area that you're just kind of curious about because of your right. story. I got into network marketing really like I was like, hell no, I'm not ever doing this. And again, it was because of the reputation. I was dealing with anxiety as a professional therapist. And then I ended up taking this probiotic that really not to not to try to oversell it, but it really just changed not only my anxiety, because I think anxiety, you have to come at it from like 10 different levels, right? Especially anxiety as it's occurring now for people for the majority of people in 2022. But I dealt with the gut health issues and that just opened up this huge area of curiosity. So I was doing therapy and then I'd kind of like fallen into network marketing. And when I started getting curious about gut health, I probably spent an entire year just studying. And it wasn't it wasn't even to affect my therapeutic career because I wasn't selling those products to my clients. I couldn't do that. But it just it was like God was getting me giving me a lot of energy and curiosity about the area because he was getting ready to do a launch. And that's why when I look at your podcast, I'm like, what are you getting ready to do with her, God? Because your curiosity is so big in this area. I do. Thank you for saying that. For me, I do tend to get a little impatient and I'm like what is this for? But then I'm also on on the flip side, I'm also a huge believer of I know everything happens for a reason. And I know I'm curious as to why I went through that, like why I didn't go through that for nothing. So I'm definitely trying to use it. And yeah, I'm just always, I'm always curious. You're right. That's a good word for me. I'm very curious person. I'm never satisfied with being done understanding or learning. I'm going to look back on this episode and be like, Miss Becky Page, she, she called it. It's just so funny the way I got one point I thought my life was going this direction and I was like, yes, this is the story. This is going to be like the story that I tell. And then it ended up not. Now my story is like telling that story, if that makes sense. I don't know how far you've listened into my episodes, but I was just when I moved to California and I pursued all that and I was going through a really hard time with my ex relationship and like, I thought that was going to be the story. Like, look what we overcame. Look what we built and and all that. But now I got out of that and my story is like talking about how I got through that situation and everything I learned from that. So it just completely took a turn. But And I think I've been doing a lot of research. I've had a, a chance to speak to some Gen Z groups. And one thing I know about uh, Gen Z is they are the most anxious, but also really positive regard when it comes to mental health and also really in need of mental health because it's a whole generation that's been raised on technology, uh, which increases anxiety, that constant, you know, connection, really lack of like rest to the brain. And, and yet not a lot of like quiet one-on-one interaction. Again, I don't say any of this to just Gen Z, um, but I also know there's there's going to be some leaders that need to emerge that have a personal understanding of what it means to go through battles with mental health and also who are really willing to be vulnerable. I think vulnerability is universally attractive. You know, we're finally shifting out of this season of being obsessed with perfection. I say that now what I actually see is a lot of like faux vulnerability. 
Because you know when someone is really being raw. That's probably, honestly, just to link it back, that's probably what struck me about listening to April's story was it was like, okay, what did I just hear? This is so real. Whereas a lot of what you sometimes see in in social media worlds is you'll see a curated vulnerability. Again, not trying to throw shade there, but the idea is that if I'm really going to connect with someone, it's typically going to happen in a one-to-one. So it wasn't a true one-to-one, but you guys had recorded this podcast and it gripped me. The second I heard it, I was like, well, this is real. This is not like a, a, you know, I'm going to film myself crying and then I go through and I'm going to carefully curate this reel. This was like just a soundbite of April literally going back through this massive trauma and it just grabbed my attention. And I do think that that Gen Z is really looking for authenticity, raw vulnerability, and then the thing that they need to learn is true connection. Definitely. And April's a little bit younger than me. I'm 32 and I feel like I'm right in the middle of I didn't grow up on technology, but it was, I think I got my Instagram when I was 21. That's older, obviously now. I feel like I'm right in the middle of that. Like I can have the one-on-one. I want to be around people. I don't crave being on my phone all the time, but then sometimes I, I do get sucked into it. And like you said about the younger generation becoming more aware and it's more mainstream now to talk about therapy. And it was taboo back in the day with the older generations. Do see and feel a wave, but again, exactly what you said it's like but then at what point are am I just gonna try to fit in and be like oh yeah I have anxiety too or I have depression too you know to not a true authentic being authentic with with what's really going on I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing um I, I do love that it's becoming more mainstream and that people are opening up and talking more but again it, then it's like but what are you doing it for attention are you doing it to just be real and just be like hey like I feel like for me, I just want people to understand me more and just share my story of what I, I've gone through. And I used to want to portray a perfect life. Like I really did. I openly admit that I would, I don't talk about anything bad that happens. And then that just got so heavy and I just couldn't keep up with that persona anymore. So then I was like, I really actually just want people to understand my true self. And then I made a lot more connection with people by doing it that way than trying to be perfect. Birth order, like how many siblings are there? I know, Kaylee, you're older than April, but what does that look like? Let's talk about that a little bit. April, do you want to share that? Okay, Tyler, he's 34. He's born in 87. And then Kayla was born in 90. She's 32. Coven just turned 30. And I am about to turn 29. So we're all two okay. years apart, essentially. Okay. And so one thing I know, just because I've heard Kayla talk about it, is you guys grew up with what I would call a family value, coming mostly from your mom, to look perfect or to at least look like everything is good on the outside to present that to the world. Is that is that true for you, April, in the same way that it's true for Kayla? I did not see that growing up. I didn't see my mom trying to make me perfect because I I think I just struggled my whole life and my mom saw that and she was really comforting to me. But Kayla was a little more rebellious than I was. Wasn't showing the values that my mom had as 
I was. I was, you know, going to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. And so my mom, I feel like, didn't have to force perfectionism on me the way she did with Kayla. So me and Kayla grew up with a completely different mom, I would say. I'm actually glad you said that because this is what's really true in family systems is each of you guys in the birth order, you each experienced what I would call like family values, things that growing up in your family taught you. And some, some of you guys might agree, but because you grew up in different seasons of your family, does this make sense? You learned different values. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, like April said, you know, I was my mom's first daughter. I think she had this expectation of me that I was going to be this way and I was not. And I always just, if I'm describing my mother's relationship, like our relationship, I just think she's like, here's this box that Kayla has to fit in. And anytime she's not making the correct decisions or the ones that's putting her in this box, like she's bad or she's wrong and she's not meeting my expectations. So she very much tried to manipulate and control me to kind of force me into this box. And when it wasn't happening, our relationship was just not good. And she just wasn't letting me be me. She was trying to force me to be what she wanted me to be. So I think just since I was the first daughter, it was like, oh, great, I'm going to have a daughter and you know she's going to be exactly like I was because my mom was very just a perfect child and then when that didn't happen I don't know she just couldn't handle it and then why I don't know if April is the way she is for a certain reason um, because of what my mom did or is it because my mom maybe eased back after me I don't know like how that how that works. Yeah. And this is, I mean, these are questions that we would all love to ask your mom, Mm -hmm. which is part of the heartache, you know, is when I listened to your family's story and obviously Kayla, I'm hearing it through, you're the filter, Mm -hmm. you know, April would have like a really different filter if we were doing a, a group family session. But one of the things that I felt just like in my own thoughts and feelings was Oh, I wish her mom was here because I have so many questions. Like, I want to know, how did she grow up? So let me explain really quickly, just as we talk about families, family systems therapy is just the assumption that the family is a system and each individual plays a part and everyone contributes and each person's individual role and experiences affects the family overall. That's just a really simple way to break it down. So your mom's family system that she came from and your dad's system that, that, that he came from, and then they married and created their own system. It's all affected generations back because we get trained. You talk about that at one point, Kayla, you're kind of discussing attachment yeah. theory. And that's the idea that we're kind of trained from the time we're born by how attached or unattached our parents are. And it can have all kinds of nuances and they themselves are the same way. So every family does the best they can. I really believe that everybody is doing the very best they can with what they've been given and where they came from. Healthy families have examined that and there's safety in the family of acknowledging like, Hey, boy, I really struggle with perfectionism. It's because when I was growing up, my mom or whatever the story is, and I say healthy families, let me be really clear. Every single family is dysfunctional. That's just normal. Like we are all flawed people. We're beings that, uh, you know, we are imperfect and we struggle. Maybe I should refer to it this way. I think the safest people in my life are the people who know their flaws and like, it's okay for us to totally. talk about them. Me included. Totally. I just have to do my own work to be safe for the people in my life, for my kids that are in the other room. You know, mm. we talk a lot about 
my struggles and why I'm this way. And and I want to give them permission, like, hey, you're going to struggle too. So part of what you guys are doing in this whole process with the podcast, it, it makes me tearful. I think you're going back and attempting to write some of the wrongs that happened because you want to stop this trajectory that your life was going in. And I, I think it's so, um, not to be dorky, I just think it's really brave. I think it's really important. I think it's a gift for your families in the future. It's a gift you give them and like their kids and their kids because it really is so important to figure out why is my story this way? I want to understand it. I want to know the role that I'm playing and I want to receive whatever gifts my parents gave me, whatever values that are good, I want to keep. But whatever other you know values they gave that they're not working for me, I'm going to let go of those and I'm going to move in a different direction. Yes. Oh my gosh. That was, oh, that was so good. Yeah. I just, I think especially my parents and of course, this goes back generations and generations. It just takes the one person to stop it. I think I'm doing that for my own, obviously, family origin in the, in the future. But I just think our parents could literally never admit a flaw. Even to this day, our dad will never apologize. He'll never be like, you know what, guys, my bad. Like, that's all on me. Like, ever since our mom died, we haven't even talked about my mom. We've never had one single conversation about my mom as a family. Our dad, like, won't discuss it. Um, And so, yeah, just I think he just has so much shame built up in his own life that he just can't break down the walls. Uh, My mom can never break down her walls. It was she was suffocating around perfection because she tried so hard to keep that image going for everyone. And instead of just being like, oh, like, let me take a breath and just tell you, like, I'm messed up, you know, like even when she was going through all of her mental illness, she she hid it from everyone. Like she just blocked everyone out and did the best she could at keeping the image where it was good, like, I don't know if we went somewhere or if we went on, uh, we went on a trip or if we went out to dinner, I was like, yeah, see, we're good right now. But like, she would just never let it go that I get that from her until I hit my wall. And I was like, you know what? I, I can't keep this up anymore. I don't know how she did it for 50 something years with four kids and everything she went through because at the age of 29, I was at my rock bottom with trying to be perfect. Yeah. Like you said, going back and like writing our wrongs, that was good. Just being like, okay, guys, I did do all this, but I'm going to go back and tell you what it all really looked like deep down underneath the surface. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When I was at my rock bottom, depressed and needing help, I wish there had been a user manual to finding a therapist, but there wasn't. And I wasted several years with the wrong therapist and trying to find the best help. Unfortunately, life doesn't come with a user manual. So when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel unsure, whether it's a career change, a new relationship, or becoming a parent. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. I used to think needing therapy was a sign of weakness, but it is truly a sign of strength and I'm not ashamed to say I needed help and I got the help I needed. Going to therapy helped me learn coping skills, improved my self-empowerment, and helped me better overcome trauma in my life. 
As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash habits. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash habits. Let me mention really quick, because this is the whole reason we're talking. There's three rules to an alcoholic family system. You and I have discussed this, but the first is we don't talk. And you've just named that. I mean, this rule is so powerful in y'all's family that the most traumatic thing has happened. And what does it look like to get together as a family? Does anyone tell stories about mom? Does anyone talk about their own reaction to losing her by suicide? April, you have way more input on this. Um, She's around the family a lot more. So maybe you can do your input. Yeah, I've definitely on one on one occasion shared what I went through to each individual in my family. I think what's just really annoying about that is when I have these one on one talks and I'm very open about what I've been through, the response is always, I just wish we could get in a room together and we all talk. I think every single member of my family has said that at least once, but it never happens. And when we do get together, it's jokes and we play games, but nothing about our life is brought up. Unless it's like big events or... There's no feelings, no emotions, there's no, right, there's no authenticity, there's no vulnerability. It's just like weather, life events, kids, sports, you know, so it's very surface level when we get together. It's almost like I don't even crave that anymore. I... I really, my energy and time goes to situations and environments where it's like, I don't feel like I'm walking on eggshells or I have to put on this mask. I love my family dearly. And like, I really, really do. But this has really splintered us. And But I honestly, that makes me think like, okay, well, how close were we to begin with? If this didn't bring us closer together, it just tore us apart. Our, our parents didn't really make that connection. They didn't connect us. So that's, that's my perspective. But uh, yeah, when I get together with my family, like we have fun, I love it. We laugh, we smile, but I just feel this like fakeness. And then when I leave, I feel like I can actually like breathe again. I mean, I'm, I'm fighting tears thinking about the fact that the, I think the last years with your mom, really like when you go back to, it sounds like the, the dividing moment for your family. And I, I know that there were problems before, but your dad's surgery is sort of like this fracture that happened. And then all these other fractures happened after. Not that there weren't hard things. I mean, Kayla, you had conflict with your parents in high school and after, and you were already kind of like pushing back on the family system and that wasn't okay. But really, it sounds like your dad's surgery tips off the trauma. It's like, boom, it fractures. And then from then on, it's years of just reacting to trauma, reacting to hard things, but not Mm -hmm. talking. So I want to remind you, your family isn't talking about your mom because they literally don't know how to have those conversations. There's no training in your family of come in guys, something really hard has happened. We as the parents are going to teach you guys language around it. I'm just going to tell you, this is probably typical for most families. They might not have all of these rules that we're going to discuss, but avoiding hard topics is something that most people, 
I've found do until they learn to get the language around it, which honestly, if there's a theme to your podcast at all, it is, we are going to talk about, and we are going to name hard things. Yeah. And it's really going to change everything. I also think that a family is never going to say, Hey, we don't talk about this. They might, they might say, Hey, we don't talk about politics or we don't talk about religion or we don't talk about money or you know, some of those big things. But what it looks like more often than not is something big happens and the parents just avoid that discussion. A lot of times it's conflict. Like you might see a mom and a dad having conflict, but if they don't ever tell the kids, Hey, your dad and I were arguing. We are okay. I want you to know I love your dad. This is normal for grownups to get into conflict or get into an argument. You know, what happens is typically parents just don't talk about it, but it might look like a lot of other things. It might look like, oh, dad was married before, but we've never discussed it. You know, so maybe dad was in a marriage and maybe even had a child in that marriage that nobody really knows because we don't talk about dad's prior life. What happens around a topic when a family refuses to talk about it is that the children inherently associate it personally, because children are naturally narcissistic. That's just how kids are. This is part of the stages of development, you know, babies and then young children, they believe in a cause and effect relationships with their caretakers. And so they think, you know, I cry and then mom comes and she supplies food or whoever does, you know, or young children when their parents divorce often personally believe it's about them. So it's very similar when a family doesn't talk about a topic, the children often feel shame and they don't even have the words to describe why they are ashamed. So shame is like a really big recurring theme in these families. And yet you've got kids who grow into adults and they're still acting out of this like shame that has been pushed down. Yes. Right. I see it. You know, you were dealing and I thought about this, even when you talked about like your first boyfriend, when you were a little girl, it was a secret. You you had to meet him in secret because you were having these romantic feelings and you just knew this is bad. So your mom, I don't think ever had to come to you and say, you need to know that you're very bad if you like little boys. You just knew there are things we don't talk about. And so if I experience these things, whether it's getting a crush or my first kiss or whatever, I'm bad. I'm I'm saying this really blunt and I want to be more compassionate. But these systems create alcoholics and create addicts because addiction is the feelings dis-ease. Like I don't. I have feelings and I've never been taught what to do with them. So I use, or if I'm a codependent, so I get obsessed with someone else who is an addict, Mm, you know? Yeah. Um, And it's all that deep shame that we don't know what to do with, or we don't even know how to talk about it. Deep shame. It ruled my life. It it ruled my life. (laughs) I will say. And yeah, I, I mean, I guess hearing you say that it was like both my parents, they just never encouraged me to talk. Um, And like, Hey, if if you ever want to talk about this, just know you have a safe space. I never felt like I had a safe space to talk. So yeah, I I hid one thing and then that led to, Ooh, I'm going to hide another thing. And then it just kept piling up the secrets and the not sharing and the feeling shame and hiding and shrinking. And (laughs) it just all added up because I didn't feel like I had a safe space to say anything. April, did you experience shame? I don't think that I ever felt shame when I was younger. I really feel like I just felt sadness and alone. I, I showed that a lot. I always said I was a black sheep of my family. Once I turned 18, it just got so bad. I finally had a panic attack. And that's when my mom took me to a doctor. I got medication. My mom got me into counseling. She did provide me the tools 
And I think that's why I'm so open and more vulnerable than all my other siblings. I will say the shame that I did have, I feel like I had more of like a spiritual shame because we were grown up in a Christian family. Anytime I would do something, you know, I had relationships with boys and there was always shame of I'm probably going to hell for this. And it's in the book of Matthew, but it's basically saying someone's coming into heaven, but they don't get in because they weren't Christian enough. The quote is, depart from me. I never knew you. And that's a terrifying Bible verse that is instilled in my head because of my dad. That's something I hadn't even thought to bring up, but I was like, I was literally praying over this talk this morning. And one of the big things that came up for me as I was praying about talking to you guys is just the spiritual abuse, whether intended or unintended, or really one of the things I am so I feel really strongly about is how much God's word has been like used as a, is weaponized on so many people. And just even that passage being so misinterpreted, but you guys had like a, a spirit of legalism in your family. And I think legalism is what people turn to when faith gets made really shallow because legalism is always easier than walking by grace. The whole idea that we don't do anything. Our behavior does not determine God's love. And also the idea that, you know, okay, we're, we're, we're sinners, which yes, it's true, but that's why grace is so powerful. And instead what we get humans tend to focus on is no, but the sin let's eradicate sin. And so for you guys, as y'all are struggling with becoming sexual people and you're getting into sexual relationships, you know, and I was raised the same way. And this is also a part of my story of shame is I always thought, okay, but sex is like the big daddy sin. And if anyone finds out that I'm having sex, like I'm disgusting and and that is never, ever the voice of Jesus, ever. He, I mean, we are so far away from condemnation, but we don't know that. And, and so what we do a lot of times in, in certain families is because we're obsessed with legalism, which is looking right on the outside, and we're focused on eradicating bad behavior, we totally miss the whole story of grace, which is you do not earn your way to heaven. I just, I mean, like y'all didn't ask me to come on and talk about that, but I am so passionate about it because people have been so spiritually abused. And I think oftentimes by parents who think they're doing the right thing. I think my parents just used it when they didn't know what to do. They were like, well, don't know how to handle this situation. Let's just open the Bible and pick out a verse and, you know, attach it to that and, and scare them out of making bad decisions. I don't know if that makes sense. If That's how I see it. Yeah, it they're makes just, Yeah, they're just like, it makes total sense. I don't know what to do or how to handle this because I don't even know how I would handle this. So let's just throw the Bible in there and pray to God that they change their ways. Yeah, I heard a lot of fear in your parents' stories and wherever there's control, Fear is behind it. So control is just a means to diminish the feelings of fear. And fear is a really powerful emotion. And so we tend to get controlling and manipulative when we're experiencing fear and we don't know what to do with it. And I heard that in y'all's family story. Yeah, definitely. My mom Um, has so much fear, crippling fear. It's like she had so many deep, dark secrets that she was hiding that her fear is, was it being exposed, even though I don't know what those were. But she, she just... I've never once had a conversation with my mom about her struggles. So how can you make a connection with anyone when you don't go that deep? Well, I I think that's why we got to bring up the next family rule, because if the first family rule is don't talk, 
then the second family rule is don't trust. And you can see how those two rules are connected because if I can't talk to you about something or if I won't talk to you, I am teaching you, I don't trust you. Mm. And so there's this element of self-preservation in these families. What it looks like in a family system where we don't trust is I'm not talking to you and it's showing you that I don't fully trust you. And so in a family system, it creates some mistrust among all the members of that system. Yeah. Did you hear this story in my podcast about my uh, me telling my mom about me having sex for the first time? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yes. So that's that would be an example of me not trusting my mom. Like, okay, never telling you any valuable information ever again. And she literally just spun it around and manipulated me with that information. So... She's like, hey, you can trust me, but I'm going to use this information against you. So, I, yeah. And you said over and over again that you felt like they didn't trust you. Right. And that it was almost pushing you to do certain things. Right. Totally. I mean, one thing I kept saying over and over in every sit down conversation we would have is like, I just want to prove to you that you can trust me, but they wouldn't give me the chance to do that. They were like, nope, you have to follow these rules and we're not going to give you the opportunity to show us that you can be responsible and trustworthy and that you can make good decisions. It was, if you're not following these rules, then (laughs) you're bad. So I just constantly got the impression that everything I did was almost wrong because even though it's, there's no really right or wrong, things obviously help you or they hinder you. But it was like everything I do was doing is like I got this feeling of, well, I'm going to do it anyway, because I, I that's just <laughs> who I've become. But I know that I'm probably not supposed to. Whereas, you know, it wasn't ever like a feeling of comfort of like, I feel okay doing this because I know I can lean on my parents if anything were to go wrong. I don't know if I said this in my podcast. This is like so horrible and sad, but I was at a house party one time that literally got robbed at gunpoint, which we later found out it was, I think it was a fake gun, but they shot it off. And I was so terrified to tell my parents because I was at a party. Like the fact that I was at a party scared me more than telling them that we just got robbed at gunpoint and everyone ran out of the house. Like that's how terrified I was of (laughs) admitting to my parents I was at a party. So my own safety came into play and I didn't even feel comfortable telling them what happened. It wasn't until days later. I think another of my friend's parents had to force me to be like, Kayla, we need to go talk to your parents. I'm like, no, I was at a party and they're going to get so mad I was at a party, you know? So (laughs) that's how bad it was. And so much of trust is built on communication, right? Like, you know, for you, Kayla, having that experience of being like, I can't even tell my parents. I mean, I'm not surprised because that wasn't a part of how you guys did relationship. You didn't go, oh, something hard has happened. Let's sit down and talk about it. Yeah, it was probably felt like it was reactionary. You can see how these rules build on each other. You've got to be able to have communication, calm communication where both sides are valued and hey, kids, here's how we talk about something difficult that creates trust. So when it doesn't happen, there's either mistrust or like you said, something big happened to you and you go, well, I don't even trust them enough to be able to share this. I'm going to get in too much trouble or I'm going to be misunderstood. And then the third rule of an alcoholic family system is don't feel and You can understand now how that's sort of the final thing that's built on this house of cards. If we don't, as a family, sit down and have conversations about hard things and we don't trust each other, then ultimately what you learn as a child is don't bring me your bad feelings. 
Hmm. A lot of times people will say, oh, I grew up in a really happy family. And it's always that word happy that kind of like grates on me. I go, okay, well, what happened in your family when things were hard? Because if only happiness is allowed, then what, what I'm telling you is you can feel happy, but don't bring me your sorrow, your heartache, your anger. Don't bring me the heavy stuff because that's not allowed here. Mm. Y'all didn't talk about it. We didn't trust each other. And then you definitely were never taught what to do with big feelings. I say big feelings instead of bad because feelings aren't good or bad. They just are. Mm -hmm. But when we force people like you can be happy, just be happy, be happy, be happy that there's so much unhealthiness there. And I don't know what that looked like for you guys individually, but learning to deal with feelings, I think I'm talking to you, April, because I think that's probably you were having really big feelings. Thankfully, your mom got you to see a counselor, but you were still like escaping those feelings through alcohol or whatever else during those years before you kind of were like, oh, light bulb. Okay. I don't want to do this anymore. Is that the order in which it usually takes place or is it just any order? It's not really any order, any order because these things sort of happen together. You know, when, when you've got a true alcoholic system and let's say like, let's say the identified alcoholic is dad. So dad might be drinking and, you know, maybe it's mom. Somebody comes in and is like, hey, kids, let's go to another room, like leave your father alone. And so it's this idea of we're not going to say dad's drinking and we're definitely not going to trust each other enough to go, hey, this is inappropriate. Dad shouldn't be doing this. But it definitely will teach everyone just take your feelings and leave, you know, just. Yeah. Get, and so you're learning. I'm going to stuff these feelings. I'm not giving a name for them because we don't talk. And I can't share with mom that I get really scared when dad comes home late because I think he'll be drunk. I'm like, I'm giving you the total classic like movie. It could look a yeah. lot of different ways. But these three things tend to exist. Now, I really want to be clear because this was huge for me. My dad grew up in a family. I love my grand. I loved my grandparents. They're no longer here. But I always grew up thinking, oh, they're like the ultimate Christian family. And they did. They, they loved God so much, but they were so legalistic that like one of their actual family rules was you can't have iced tea in the front yard in a glass because someone could drive by and assume it's bourbon. And I remember hearing that and just being like, that's so cracked out. Like what? That's so legalistic. But he grew up in that family. There was no alcoholic. There was not even alcohol anywhere, a drop of it. I mean, he was grew up like, we don't dance, don't go to a movie theater because if Jesus comes back, he won't know where to find you. Like he grew up super legalistic. And so he rebelled from that, thank God. But he still had those rules sort of in his mind. And he did a great job of raising us. But it took me, like I said, to grow up into my 30s and realize, oh, that's why dad was sometimes the way he was. And that's why he would lapse back into, you know, behavior control. And then I have to be careful with my kids when I'm, you know, I have a 14 year old daughter now and just seeing her emerge and become a, an appropriate teenager. I, I have to be like, Oh, stop trying to control her behavior. Like talk to her about how you're feeling about the length of those shorts, but don't put on her this idea of get those shorts off because y'all know it's like booty cheek season out in these streets right now. But <laughs> anyway, I'm just learning to do my own. I'm, I'm like having to work on myself and go, Becky, you're feeling fear. You're afraid if she wears those shorts that some guy is going to treat her inappropriately. Practice trusting her. Tell her like, I don't love those shorts, but I trust you to make your own decisions on yeah. your clothes. And that's like 
full on hardcore adulting for me. Yeah, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That's how I picture, you know, if I were to have kids, I don't have any, but it's how I picture myself being. It's just like, there's a fine line between, I'm sure you know what enmeshment is like with your kids. Like, don't be so enmeshed together where there's no boundaries because you're obviously the, the parent and the adult figure, but also that the safety and the open mindedness, I think for me is going to be my biggest thing is like, I just have to stay so open minded because my parents were so closed minded. So, you know, there's, yeah, I love it. That example It's like, you have to just trust that she will make the best mistake until maybe she doesn't and then reel her back in a little bit without their control around it. And I think that's really, honestly, the purpose of my podcast. When I think of kind of another theme is the people that are already parents are going to be parents, just having the open mindedness with your children. And I think emotional regulation is huge for children, encouraging them to share their feelings and just talking with them without judgment. I think those are the main things. That's something I didn't have. And I think it just shows it just will catch up to your children. It did with me. So I think right now I'm like, okay, so this is how I'm going to break the not only with the podcast, but like in my own world and family. And this is how I will break that chain of the shame and this family alcoholic system. I definitely will never want to have that. Because like you said, in the beginning, everyone is truly doing their best. I 100% believe that everyone if this is their 100 percent they are there but some someone else's 100 percent could be somewhere else and they have a more awareness so i i know my parents were absolutely doing the best they could so that's what makes me just so sad is they didn't know themselves how to do it for their own selves let alone teach for other kids how to do it yeah i agree and that's why i feel again i feel this loss of oh i wish your mom was here so we could talk to her without putting shame and guilt on her and just say, tell us like, how did you learn to do life this way? And because you guys don't have that, I think the work you're doing is so powerful. What I see you guys both doing in different ways is gleaning. These are the values that I learned from my family that don't work for me. And so I'm going to let them go. Mm. And also maybe there's some values that do work for me. Maybe there's some things I did learn that I do want to hold on. I'm going to do it differently. You know, um, I'm going to, I'm going to look different because I am a different person living in a different era, but to be able to take those gifts as they are and really move forward with them and realizing that even though you came from the same family, you had different experiences. So there's stuff that's not working any longer. You can let it go. And the stuff that does work or the stuff that you do still value, you go, now I'm going to make it mine. Mm. And I'm going to move forward with this. And it's a gift, not only, you know, whether or not you ever have kids, it's still a gift for you in the world. All right. One just last question. So with this alcoholic family system, what should people know about it for their own lives? Like how can they identify if they may have been a part of one and what can they do for themselves? Maybe if they obviously can't go to their parents or their other family members, like what can they do for themselves to start to heal? Yeah, uh, we call it family of origin work. And it's really important in counseling sessions that, that this work happens. I would tell the average person or listener, do this work in therapy if possible. I also know it's incredibly hard to find a good therapist or to build that relationship. And you and I mentioned podcast that I really love. I love it so much that I just share it all the time. But it's a podcast by a guy named Adam Young. 
and it's called The Place We Find Ourselves. And he, I just tell people like, hey, just go listen to that mm. podcast. You're going to learn a lot. And then you can, if you have a counselor, you can take it into therapy. He, he's done a really great job of breaking down a lot of what we talk about. I also want to say like, if you, if you listen to this episode and you're like, oh, I think my family sort of meets this criteria, start with yourself. Because oftentimes if you go, take these rules to your family, your parents, you're like, hey guys, we have this alcoholic family system. Like you might not be met with a lot of joy and acceptance because they're going to feel guilty and targeted. But if you like draw the circle around yourself and then just start with everything inside that circle, you will change the family system. You guys... I'm going to guess have massively changed the family system because you're talking about experiences, you're bringing up things, you're talking about your struggles. And it's sort of like, oh, people get a little uncomfortable. But as one person in the system shifts, the whole system begins to moderately shift. And I can't make you talk about things with me, but I can become more authentic and vulnerable. And that will change our interpersonal dynamic. So I would just tell folks to start there. I also, I have to say, I love Daniel Amen. We did not even get, or some people call him Daniel Amen, but he's of the Amen Clinic. I uh, love following him on Instagram. We didn't even get into talking about like some of the brain stuff that is, you know, potentially a part of your family's story. But, you know, he's a psychiatrist. He's been doing this. I'm, I'm, when I was in seminary, we studied him. That was 20, over 20 years ago. And he has a great old book called Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. He's got mm-hmm. a, done a lot more now, but he really is holistic, mm-hmm. um, does a lot of like integrative care, but he also uses the SPEC scan. That's the scan he does of the brain to yeah. literally be able to go in and be like, oh, you're not producing neurotransmitters the way you should. Like yeah. your depression can be based in a traumatic brain injury. It could be based in severe trauma. You, you could be based in the fact that your hormones have been off, your thyroid's not functioning. So he does like this whole person approach mm. that I love. Yeah. Well, it have to be an episode for another time. Okay. Well, I really appreciate talking with y'all. Yes. Thank you so much, Becky. This was such a good conversation. I'm just sitting here smiling, nodding my head the entire time. So I know everyone's going to love this episode and the professionalism and the information and knowledge that you so like beautifully laid out. I think it's going to help so many people. That's, that's really my biggest thing. I even say it in my description of the episode is like just provoking your thoughts. That's all I want to do to get you to go, huh? Huh, like just even a huh is fine with me. <laughs> like maybe, maybe there's something, something to this. So I think that's exactly what we did here today. So thank you for taking the time again. Do you just want to let people know where they can find you? Um, any links or social, anything that where I can put in the show notes? Yeah. Could just come find me on Instagram at Beck page. Yeah. Okay. okay. Happy holidays. Okay. Bye guys. Bye. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.